Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Aaron Nicholson. I'm a pastor, and I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. And today, I have my friend Mike Otazu here with us. So glad to have you. Thank you for taking the time. So Mike is a Bible teacher here at Indian Hills Community Church. He teaches the college ministry, the young adult ministry called Alpha Omega on Thursday nights at UNL campus. He's a student currently pursuing a Master of Divinity degree at the Master's Seminary. Mm-hmm. He is husband to Jen, father of two. He is a coffee expert, an uh, excellent friend, and uh, just an outstanding churchman. So, Mike, thanks again for being here. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I didn't, I didn't bring any coffee, but I was gonna you'll say, have to take the coffee expert <laughs> thing on, on trust. I, I was wondering, at book studies, sometimes Mike brings the whole book study coffee, homemade coffee, and it's excellent. But I guess I'll have to wait till next book study to, to have that, huh? Yeah, that's right. You'll have to exercise patience. <laughs> I will. <laughs> so Mike teaches uh, Ecclesiastes. You're teaching Ecclesiastes right now on Thursday nights. And so my first question for you for this episode is why? Why did you decide to teach through the book of Ecclesiastes to our young adults? Well, that's a great question. Um, when when the authorities that be, you, <laughs> uh, asked me to, to start preaching weekly for the college ministry, the young adults, I thought through a whole lot of options, uh, New Testament, Old Testament, and eventually landed on Ecclesiastes because... I think it is extremely relevant right now, and especially for young adults who are forming worldviews, really, as they experience uh, a lot of what the world's culture is telling them to do, and they're weighing it against Scripture and coming up with their own conclusions on how to live life, how to fear God, and how to do that in a world that's hostile to them. And I couldn't think of a book any better on that subject than Ecclesiastes. Yeah, excellent choice. We'll get into all of what you you just talked about. So you you hinted at it. You gave your series the title, Fearing God in an Upside-Down World, a Practical Study to the Book of Ecclesiastes. Can you unpack that title more for us? What did you mean by it? Yeah, I, I tried to come up with a title that was just take what Solomon's message is and put it into one pithy phrase. And so I came up with Fearing God in an Upside-Down World because Solomon really in this book is imploring his readers to fear God and to do so in a world that is completely antagonistic to that action. And Solomon himself, uh, as we've been studying, lived and formed his own ideas and wrote this book in an upside-down world of his own. He was, uh, you know, the king of Israel. He was the wisest man to ever live, perhaps even the wealthiest man to ever live. He had everything at his fingertips, and yet he was entrenched in his sin, and the culture around him was entrenched in sin. And so I think that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes toward the end of his life, probably after his conversion, and and he's just imploring the readers, and by proxy, us as well, as we're reading it now in in our current context, to fear God and to do so despite the upside-downness, if you will, of the world. Yeah. And could you, okay, curveball question, not one I gave you earlier. Um, Can you define for us what it means to fear God? Yeah, that's a big theme in the Old Testament, and it's probably could be its own podcast episode by itself. But I would say in short, uh, 
to fear God is to recognize his sovereignty, to recognize who he is accurately, and then to respond accordingly. And that response, fearing God, should look like a reverence, an awestruckness, a a fear, not in the sense that I'm afraid for myself or for my safety, but more so in the sense that God is so powerful, I can do nothing but to crouch down before him and not even look that direction. You know, It's, it's the Isaiah 6 idea where yeah. Isaiah is before God in the throne room and there is worship happening all around him, deafening worship, and all he can do is get on his knees and recognize his sinfulness. That's what I think of when I think of fearing God. Yeah, so not a phobia, but just an awe-inspired response and reverence. Yeah, absolutely. To who God is and his greatness. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, if I could add to that, it's really the Old Testament version of being saved, right? Mm. And that's the way Solomon leverages that phrase in Ecclesiastes. In fact, at, at the end of the book, which is where he gives his purpose statement of the whole book in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, he says, the end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. And that's the whole point of the book. He is imploring his readers to bend their knee in reverence and awe and realization that they are nothing and he is everything. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to fear God. And so in our current context, we I, I've been calling our college students to fear God, yeah. to, to bend their knee and in our current context to, to repent and believe in what Christ did on the cross. Amen. So reading through Ecclesiastes, we've noticed that there are a lot of verses about pain, about toil, about death. Uh, One could almost say the preacher, who you've identified as Solomon, is a pessimist. Uh, Do you agree with that? Is he a pessimist or is he an optimist? Well, that's a question that that, uh, plagued me quite a bit uh, years ago as I first interacted with Ecclesiastes when I was a young adult myself. And and, and reading this book, it's, it's... it's a valid question. You can't get through it without asking, what is Solomon getting at here? Is he a cynic? Is he terribly mad about his life and and his experience? Or is he, you know, we read some glimpses of extreme hope uh, in the carpe diem passages of Ecclesiastes. So it's a good question. It's valid. Uh, I've wrestled with it a bunch. And really, I think we have to introduce a third option to be accurate here. Solomon, as he wrote Ecclesiastes, wasn't a pessimist, though he did write uh, pessimist-sounding verses like, for example, Ecclesiastes 1-2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or verse 14 of chapter 1, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, his conclusion is, all is vanity and striving after the wind. So he did sound pessimistic. And then elsewhere, he sounds optimistic, like in Ecclesiastes 8.12, it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. So he's talking both ways, really. And so I, I like to describe Solomon not as pessimistic or optimistic, but as realistic. I think that better describes his understanding of, of how life works. He's teaching us realism. He's teaching us truth that is unabated by, by pessimism or optimism. Yeah, that's very helpful. You know, now that you've studied through it, you've taught through it, have you seen this play out in your life and in the way you parent your kids and the way you think about, you know, current events? And I mean, just can you elaborate on on how that has worked out personally? Absolutely. 
let me give an example here. If you were to go through a, a tough time in life, if you're, if you're entering through a trial and you are, are struggling in life and you went to a close friend and, and you asked for help, you asked for advice, you asked for perspective, you would not want them to just give you a whole bunch of platitudes saying, oh, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Just take a load off. It's, it's no big deal. What you would want is not to minimize the pain, but you would want them to give you real perspective. And I think that's what Solomon does here. He gives us a, a comprehensive and a worshipful perspective of who God is and who we are in relationship to him. So there are glimpses of, of, of negativity, but that's life. And there are glimpses of optimism, and that's life. Solomon is a realist. He gives us a bigger perspective. Great answer. What interpretive challenges have you come across in the book? So there's one, you know, pessimism or optimism. Are there other interpretive challenges that you've come across? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is wisdom literature. Uh, and so wisdom literature inherently requires a little bit more heavy lifting in the hermeneutical uh, interpretive process. And so, you know, I've spent a few more hours on the front end of of sermon preparation, just making sure I'm actually getting the authorial intent, what he's actually saying in the flow of thought and context. And that has added a little bit of, of extra difficulty in, in getting there. You know, Solomon doesn't just come out and say exactly what he's trying to say and get us to do the way that, for example, Paul would or John in the New Testament. He has these roundabout ways of speaking and he uses themes and, you know, we're reading in our English language, whereas he wrote in Hebrew and there's a lot of translational issues with Ecclesiastes. And I'm finding that as I learn Hebrew in seminary, I am nowhere near able to understand accurately and perfectly Solomon's Hebrew. You know, he used flowing, soaring language um, and lots of wordplay going on. But I would say if I had to narrow it down to one difficulty, I would say it's not so much a difficulty, but I think a lot of people get hung up on the translation of that word that we see in most of our Bibles translated as vanity or meaninglessness. You know, I, I did a little breakdown of, of all the English, popular English translations and how they translated that Hebrew word hebel. And uh, some translated it as vanity or vanities. Uh, and others translated as futile or futility. Others even translated it as meaningless. You know, uh, I think it's the NIV that translates chapter one, verse two as meaningless, meaningless, says mm. the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And, you know, that's a problem for me because that's not necessarily what that word hebel meant. We're taking a, an interpretive stretch there. And also it doesn't make logical sense. If everything is meaningless, how can Solomon even write a book about the meaning of life here, right? It's, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make much sense. And so, you know, that, that word hebel, I think is, is most rigidly and literally and woodenly translated as mistiness or transience or a, a vapor, actually. So the concrete idea of that word is, is, is mist. Mm -hmm. And it, it's the idea that it's here today, gone tomorrow. It's, you can't really grasp it. It's elusive. And then I think what Solomon's getting at in, in his use of that word is actually the abstract idea of transience mm -hmm. or um, fleetingness, if you will, if we can invent a word. So yeah, Solomon, he, he, that theme comes up throughout, especially the first half of the book, where he is just pounding into his readers that 
life apart from God is fleeting. It's misty and you can't control it. It is doomed for destruction. You cannot find joy without God. And so he really makes us feel that when he uses that word over and over again. That's been an interpretive challenge. Uh, I, I found a few good commentators that took that position. Although, you know, with Ecclesiastes, there are about a billion commentators that disagree. Yeah. And uh, it's it's hard to actually find a consensus on anything. But this is, you know, whenever I'm confused, I always stick to the the actual meaning, the the most literal meaning of any translation. And, and that's what I came up with. And I think I'm in good company. I don't think I'm out on a limb there. No, no, you aren't. And that's awesome to just hear how you've done the work. And uh, though there's a myriad of opinions out there to sort through and, and find the right one. You're right. It does take on a whole new meaning when you translate it mistiness versus meaningless. Um, serve God, though it's a, a sin-cursed world. Fear Him and serve Him, and there is great reward in that. It's not meaningless. It's just short. Absolutely. And, you know, as I've navigated through Ecclesiastes, I think it's worthwhile saying our great pastor, Gil Rue, just preached through Ecclesiastes a few years ago. I think it was actually just two years ago. And so I've been printing out his sermons through Ecclesiastes and, and checking my work, making sure that that I'm even close to, you know, and, and he's done an excellent job. So if anyone's looking for a really good sermon series on Ecclesiastes, you could find it on Sound and Words. I'm sure we have it up there somewhere. Yeah. You just go to IHCC.org, Indian Hills Community Church.org, and you can go to resources, find the sermon there. Good job. That's a good plug. <laughs> it's very helpful. I agree. Um, so in, in addition to the overarching theme we've talked about, uh, fearing God in an upside down world, what other, you know, sub themes have you found in Ecclesiastes? Yeah, there are a lot, and I've been able to identify a few, and as I'm going through Ecclesiastes, I'm taking bigger chunks with our students. We're usually taking about 10 to 20 verses at a time to identify the main themes throughout Ecclesiastes, and so we've been able to touch on a few of them. One, I think, of the major ones is the sovereignty of God. When most people seek to teach on the sovereignty of God or proof text the sovereignty of God, very rarely do I ever hear of Ecclesiastes coming to mind. And I think that's a shame. Ecclesiastes, one of the main points of this book is to teach that God is wholly sovereign. And I mean, I'm thinking of Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that everything God does will be forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. God has so worked that men should fear him. And so we see this soaring theme throughout Ecclesiastes that God is perfectly, completely, powerfully sovereign. And in contrast, man is nothing but misty, especially without God. And we read that, you know, in Ecclesiastes 8, 7 to 8 as a good example. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him what will happen? Speaking to man's lack of knowledge about things in the future. There is no man who has power to restrain the wind with the wind. They have, man has no power over the physical earth. And there is none who has power over the day of death. Man has no power over his own death and the timing of it. And there is no discharge in the time of war and wickedness will not provide escape to its masters. And then we even have later in that chapter, in verse 17, I concluded that man cannot find out the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not find it out. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot find it out. Man in Ecclesiastes, is nothing but weak, especially without God, especially without a fear of God, a healthy fear of God. And that's the point, you know, Ecclesiastes is trying to 
get us to the end of ourselves. It's trying to get us to, to realize that we have no power, especially in the face of the Almighty God. So that's been, that's been one theme that I've really enjoyed setting my mind on and meditating on. Yeah, one of my favorite verses uh, is in chapter 7. It says, consider the work of God who can straighten what God has bent. And then it says something to the effect of, you know, consider the day of adversity and the day of prosperity. God has made one as well as the other. You're definitely right. It highlights and magnifies the sovereignty of God. Such um, amen. important passages on that. Yeah, and it, he even goes further sometimes, especially, you know, in chapter three, there's there's that wonderful poem that has been popularized and also butchered in yeah. its original meaning. Solomon talks about in chapter three, the meticulous providence of God. God is not just all powerful, not just this being that has created everything and is in control of everything. He's also intricately, providentially playing out his plan in real time. And, you know, Ecclesiastes 3, Two or Ecclesiastes three one actually to give us a little more context says there is an appointed time for everything and the subtext there is God has appointed a time for everything and there is a time for every matter under the sun a time to give birth a time to die a time to plant a time to uproot a time to kill time to heal time to tear down time to build up and he goes on and on basically saying the whole span of life all of the things that we will ever experience is within God's plan and that's comforting. And it was comforting to Solomon. That's why he put it there. And it should be comforting to us. But the flip side of that is it's not comforting to those who don't fear God, right? And that's, that's the point. He's trying to get those who don't fear God to feel very uncomfortable. And maybe that's why so many people call it a pessimistic book. Mm. And that's maybe why so many people reject the book and don't like the book and even consider Solomon not the author of the book yeah. because they don't fear God. Yeah. Amen. That's helpful. Why should our listeners read the book of Ecclesiastes? Why should we study it and look into it? That's a great question. Uh, it's part of the canon, and it is part of the Bible. So <laughs> if you are reason. at all committed to the Bible, don't neglect Ecclesiastes. Um, but if I could be more pointed and more more sharp on that answer, I would encourage people to in- interact with the book of Ecclesiastes because of its message. For the Christian, Ecclesiastes is going to be extremely encouraging. Ecclesiastes is going to take you to the heights of life. It's going to encourage you to enjoy life, to enjoy your wife, to enjoy drink, to enjoy food, to enjoy your relationship with God. But for the unbeliever, for the one who doesn't fear God, Ecclesiastes is going to really scrape at your heart and it's going to really beat you up. It's a book that beat me up before I was a believer. And it's a book that uh, ultimately convinced me of my sinfulness. I was chasing hobbies and chasing all sorts of, of sin in my life. And Ecclesiastes was one of the books that the Holy Spirit used to convict me of that. And, you know, I, I again would refer you to the end of Ecclesiastes where he gives his purpose statement, the whole meaning of the book. In verse 13 of the last chapter, he says, the end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, because this is the end of the matter for all mankind. For God will bring every work to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That's a sobering statement. That's a, that's a scary statement for one who doesn't fear God, for one who's outside of a right relationship with God. And I would encourage you, you know, listener, watcher, if you're not a believer, if you don't fear God, 
get into Ecclesiastes. Read those two verses I just read over and over again. Weigh it with the rest of Scripture. Weigh it against your life. Do you fear God? If the answer is no, you've got a massive problem. And the answer, you know, if we could import this into our New Testament context, repentance and belief are your answer. If you don't fear God, that judgment that he talks about in chapter 12, 14 is coming for you. And you need to fear God. You need to, to bend your knee in reverence, in respect, in understanding of who he is. Put your faith in Christ. Realize that your sin is antithetical to a relationship with God. Repent of your sin. Believe in him. And that is exactly what Solomon is telling us to do in this book. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I have a message for both believer and unbeliever. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for unpacking that, too, for, for the New Testament believer uh, who has Christ as the object and center of our faith. Thank you, Mike, for your ministry. Thank you for teaching this wonderful book. Uh, you're almost through it, I guess, with the uh, the college group here. What chapter are you on? We're in chapter 10 now, so just a, just a couple chapters ago. Awesome. Looking forward to more. Thanks again for being on the podcast. And listeners, thank you for listening. I encourage you to follow Sound Words on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can uh, like the episodes and share them so that more people can find biblical content. And we really appreciate that. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great day.